This is the How'd You Get Into That Podcast with Grant Baldwin, episode 64. Like Nintendo 64. You remember Nintendo 64? Man, that was cool. Play the music. Let's do this. Welcome to the How Did You Get Into That Podcast. Each week, we want to bring you an inspiring interview or encouraging message to help you find and do work you love. Now, here's your host, Grant Baldwin. What's up, my friends? Welcome to another episode of How Did You Get Into That. Today, we have a great show for you. I'm excited that you're here, though. Hopefully, you're doing well as we're starting to wind down 2014, getting ready to turn the page and head into 2015. I don't know about you. I'm always excited about a new year. I'm excited to wrap up and just kind of think about and debrief on this year, look back, reflect, ponder, and enjoy how this year went. I'm excited about 2015. We've got a lot of good stuff coming at you in the new year that I'm excited to share with you the next few weeks and months. So buckle up, Buttercup, because we got some fun stuff ahead. Hey, we got a great show for you today. We're going to be joined by Max Webster, who is part of a startup called Nico Nico, which you're going to have to just keep listening to the interview to know what exactly that means. But basically what they do is they wanted to figure out and track like what makes people happy? What affects people's mood more than just kind of like, well, I don't know, you know, I had a good day, but do you know why you had a good day? Or, you know, I enjoyed work. Do you know why you enjoy work? And so they've created some systems and some tools to help you actually track that and better understand that. So really cool story and journey that he's gone through and how he kind of got into this, uh, the tech startup world and what they're building for companies and organizations as well as for individuals. So really good stuff. Excited to bring this interview to you today. So let's get into it. Here is my interview with Max. Enjoy. Greetings, my friends. Welcome to another episode of How Did You Get Into That? Today, we've got a great interview for you. We are joined by Max Webster, who is CEO and co-founders of Nico Nico, which is a cool site that we're an app and tool we're going to get into today. So Max, what is up? Welcome to the show. Hey, Grant. Happy to be here. Good to have you, man. All right. So Nico Nico, what exactly does that even mean? Yeah, so Nico Nico is an ideophone for smiling in Japanese. So basically that just means that in Japan it's the sound that's associated with smiling. And Nico Nico calendars are uh, a tool that have been used in companies like Toyota, other places in Japan, and then the agile software development community where people literally track how they feel every day by putting smileys on a wall or some sort of graphical representation of their feelings. So it's something that we thought was really cool in Japan, the agile software community, and wanted to bring to the rest of the workforce. Interesting. All right. So the sound associated with smiling. Mm -hmm. Fascinating. All right. Good stuff there. So where does this fascination with people's moods and how they're doing and the sound that's associated with smiling, where does that even come from? (laughs) Yeah. So I mean, I think at the end of the day, everything is about people and everything is about sort of understanding the emotions that people have. For me personally, you know, I've really been interested in sustainability for a long time. And I think that really helping people understand what makes them happy and fulfilled is my path to creating a more sustainable society. And I'm happy to talk more about that. But for me, it's ultimately about helping people reach their full potential and understanding how they feel, understanding how you feel as an individual is probably the most important first step to do that. Yeah, it seems like for most people, we're very almost reactive with our feelings and emotions of I'm not really sure how to identify or quantify how I'm feeling. I'll just react to it whenever it arrives as opposed to being, I guess, a little more proactive and understanding, oh, okay, if I do this, I understand that it affects me in this way. And sometimes we see that like hindsight 2020, but uh-huh. knowing it in the moment that whenever I do this, that it affects me in this specific quantifiable way. So ultimately, it sounds like that's what you guys are trying to do. Yeah, and we're focused on doing this particularly in the workplace, but I think in general, 
you know, I've been interested in, you know, mindfulness meditation for a long time and had some experiences in the Zen community and elsewhere. But, you know, in a lot of different communities that I really admire, the first step is just understanding yourself and how you feel. And, I, you know, people, I think in general, are so busy in day-to-day life that it's the most sort of obvious and simple thing to ascertain, but it's the thing that requires, in many ways, the most discipline just to have that moment of reflection. So that's something that we really believe in is is self-reflection to get that. Yeah, totally resonate with that. I think that's the case. One of the things we're trying to do with people as well is just trying to help people. When people listen to the show and they're like, I have no idea what it is that I want to do in terms of a career. I don't have the magic bullet. I don't have the magic solution. (laughs) But I always thought like so much of it comes from just reflecting and just really thinking about it and processing it and kind of working through it because there isn't some magic formula. But there are some common pieces there where if you understand how you're wired and you understand the best type of work environment for you, you understand and how you work in certain situations and what kind of work brings you alive, then you can start to connect the dots and connect the pieces to figure out, oh, okay, this type of setting would work really, really well for me or this type of setting wouldn't. But you don't know that unless you take the time to do some of that reflection and just kind of self-discovery. Yeah, I think, you know, in most cases, uh, to most of the big or important questions in life, people already know the answer. The problem is there's just so much noise from the world. And, you know, being in the 21st century obviously has a lot of benefits, but there's some downsides as well as increasing that noise. And I think the ability to focus and reflect is going to become one of the most important and crucial skills for the workplace, the personal life, everything in this century. Yeah, for sure. So for Nico, Nico, and you do that on an enterprise level of helping people understand their emotions and their feelings and how their day went, how do you actually quantify that? Like, how do you determine based on a smiley face or a frown face how someone's day went? Yeah, well, the short answer is we're obviously a very early stage company. So we're figuring out a lot of this as well. I mean, the research in this field is pretty nascent, although there's a lot of exciting developments. The short answer I'll give is that taking the first step away from the status quo, which is like almost no reflection at all. So almost any data that you can get from self-reflection on how you feel is a huge, like an order of magnitude or more greater than what we have in the status quo, which is almost nothing. So that's the first piece is that self-reported data is really the first step. With that said, as we continue to evolve and as the field continues to evolve, we're going to get much better at identifying ways that people can report specific emotions instead of just sort of like a positive negative gradient. And there's a lot of research being done in this field and other data streams that can help us get that that we may not even realize yet. In some ways, it sounds kind of creepy and you know it certainly can be uh, <laughs> construed that way. But, but some people would argue that Google, for example, now knows how we feel before we do. And that's not necessarily the case in reality, but if we're not reflecting ourselves, then yeah. So we're starting with the self-reported information because we think that there's a huge missing gap there. And ultimately, our goal is to, to continue improving those channels to help you understand how you feel. So some of it at this point, just kind of crowdsourcing it, of just trying to gather a bunch of people's understanding how they're wired and how they feel on any given day based on any given number of circumstances and starting to just bring some data out of that. Is that correct? Absolutely. And I think the really important thing there is that you look at the status quo in most companies and most companies right now, you know, there's this big disconnect. They say our people are our most important assets. Our people are everything. Yet these companies have real time data on everything in their company, except that thing, which they say is their most important asset. And when you ask them, how often are you evaluating how your employees feel about their roles at scale? Obviously, one-on-ones with managers can happen more frequently. The answer is usually once a year in our annual engagement survey, maybe once a quarter if we're an incredibly progressive company. And that just doesn't add up. So what we try to bring to the field with our first innovation, and obviously this is just our first step in the market. We have a much bigger vision of really enabling people ops and HR to maximize human potential. But our first step is how can we take that from once a year or once a quarter 
and make it easy, reduce the frictions that people hate with surveys, clicking links, boring questions, boring response methods. How can we make it fun and interesting like it is in Japan with the NikoNiko calendars, like it is in the agile software communities that use these calendars to get more real-time data, so a couple of times a week. Now all of a sudden, as a manager, a CEO, a head of people, I have a lot more interesting information on how I can improve the workplace for my employees because I'm hearing it day to day or in reaction to a specific event instead of getting that information back a year later when it's simply too late to do anything with it. Yeah, that makes total sense. All right, let's backtrack a little bit here. So where'd you grow up? I kind of grew up all over. I was born in Memphis, Tennessee, moved down to the Mississippi Gulf Coast and then New Orleans. Fortunately, I moved to Nashville when Katrina hit in 05. Nashville's great. The Katrina part was unfortunate. <laughs> Went to college up in the Northeast and lived there for a bit. Went out to the West Coast to start this company, so San Francisco. And now spending a bit of time in New York before we head back to San Francisco. You are just a domestic nomad around the U.S. <laughs> right, something like that, yeah. <laughs> so growing up, like, what was life like? What did your parents do? Yeah, man, I was very fortunate. Any good things that I'm able to produce or contribute to society are very, very much a product of my parents. I mean, I was very, very fortunate to grow up with two of the most selfless and creative and wonderful people that anyone will ever meet. So my father is a creative super genius. He's an artist. He creates you know giant six-foot-tall paper mache monsters. He does incredible animation. My mother was the consummate hustler and entrepreneur. She started one of the first females to start an ad agency in the South in Memphis in the 1980s. And she actually, this is kind of amusing, she met my dad, she hired him because he was this kind of, you know, very bohemian sort of lifestyle artist squatting in Elvis's old karate studio in Memphis. <laughs> Probably paying rent. Squatting sounds better though. And she met him and was just incredible talent. She hired him and ultimately decided it'd be cheaper just to marry him. So <laughs> so that was the genesis of me. <laughs> that's how you came to be. Nice, yeah. man. So sounds like you grew up in a pretty, obviously well-rounded, but also just driven, motivated, inspiring type of family. Oh yeah, without a doubt. Like I said, to reemphasize, Anything positive that comes out of me is 100% a result of my parents. It's all their fault. It's all their fault. Anything <laughs> negative, you can also blame on them. That's yeah. right. <laughs> so whenever you're growing up, what was it that you wanted to do with life? Even as you're kind of wrapping up high school and you're starting to make the transition into a grown-up land, what did you want to do? Well, I still don't think I've reached grown-up land. So take yeah. all this with a grain of salt. Uh, and hopefully I never will because I certainly don't think my dad has. So I've had a passion actually for environmental issues for a long time. We grew up in the Mississippi Gulf Coast, or I did, where... It was a really sort of uh, idyllic setting, and there were some, you know, some big companies that were, you know, putting a lot of pretty toxic chemicals in the water. And my mom used to take me to these environmental rallies. And the reason she would do that is she would say, "Look, I want you to understand. Like, I'm obviously very, you know, pro business. I'm an entrepreneur, but like, I want you to understand that any decision you ever make has impacts on the community around it. And I think it's really important that you understand that going out there and you know making a difference, making a good living for yourself, those are all worthwhile and noble goals." but never if it comes to the expense of the people in the community around you. And I think now in the internet age, that can really extend the globe because that's ultimately all that really matters at the end of the day. So that got me really interested in environmental activism and the human rights around that at an early age. I wanted to be an environmental lawyer actually for the longest time. So in college, I started a nonprofit called Climate Places and we were crowdsourcing the collection stories from communities that were most at risk from climate change. Growing up on the cold Gulf Coast in New Orleans, when Katrina hit is what we got me thinking about the sort of impacts that natural disasters in places like Bangladesh or you know the Maldives, places that are literally going underwater, are going to have. And that work was very inspiring and very important, but you know, it just it, it really frustrated me like how long like the legal process was going to take to see anything happen through you know a lot of these channels. I went to like the UNFCCC intercessionals, the, the UN meetings on climate change, and basically just realized the pace of change was just too slow. Yeah. So when I was about to graduate, I was thinking, you know, let me put this law school idea on hold 
And, you know, I really think the internet is changing everything. How can I get involved with the internet to hopefully further these goals that I have? So I got lucky in that I met a really bright engineer, way smarter than I am, convinced him not to take his job at Google. And we uh, got a little bit of funding from our university to build my first company, which started as a crowd finance platform for energy efficiency retrofits. Did a little bit of work there. Basically, we were trying to allow you to put money into retrofitting buildings in your community. So, you know, doing really positive things for the community, for the environment, also getting paid back, way better returns than you can get in today's interest rate economy. And ultimately, the SEC got up in our grill real quick, realized that was not a path we understood. So we pivoted, started building some solar customer acquisition software, still really, really passionate about that space. Unfortunately, we stopped working on those companies due to some pretty tragic stuff that happened at home involving family illness. So when I was home for a while, my mom got sick, helping take care of her. I started reflecting a lot more deeply on why do I care so much about these environmental issues? And I kept coming back, or sustainability as a field, and I kept coming back to the human piece of it. And that's how I got interested in the well-being metrics and sort of made the transition in EcoNico is thinking, as I was telling you earlier, like a community where people are measuring not just growth, not just I made a bunch of stuff and sold a bunch of stuff and produced no real value for the world, but a community where people know what makes them happy and fulfilled, what actually produces value in the world and measure that. That's a community where a lot of these like negative externalities like pollution or climate change or whatever are not nearly as much of a problem. So I kind of started taking a different approach to the problem. And obviously, I don't think that I will solve this problem by myself in its current path. But I do think there's a lot of people out there that have these kind of mission-driven ideas behind their business models. And I don't know, I think it's a really exciting force for the 21st century. Yeah, that's super fascinating. I mean, going back to even as a kid, so you know, your mom takes you to a couple of environmental rallies that you start to get a taste of that and get a sense of that. And then fast forward to environmental lawyer and going down that path and wanting to do that. So even today, I've gone, I want to help understand how people are wired and how people's moods and emotions and their activities affect those moods and emotions and how that indirectly affects, but still has a very real effect on the environment. And like you said, pollution and these types of issues. So it's very interesting to hear it come full circle where you're doing almost what you wanted to do, but you're just going at it in a, almost in a backdoor kind of way. Exactly. Yeah. And obviously like anyone, I still sometimes have questions like, should I be working more directly on the issue? But I think that what really excites me about this is I like to think about if you have the luxury of choosing to do work that really scales, thinking about how thing that may not address the direct cause of a problem initially, but can you identify the root cause of a problem and can you build something that sort of scales through society in a more easily affected or adopted way? Like I think environmental activists, people are doing that work. It's incredibly important. I really admire it. But I think that the more lasting changes are the ones that people don't realize what they're initially for. It's, it's about changing people's habits and mindsets in a way that's really productive for them and ultimately has the impact that you hope to see too. Whenever you're, you're talking about some of these types of issues, sustainability, you know, energy efficiency, the environment, I mean, these are massive, massive global issues. So and totally. what you're doing, trying to take on some of these indirectly, how do you even begin to approach something like this where it just feels like it's so freaking big that you don't even know what to do? You know, it reminds me of we had recently on the show, uh, Scott Harrison, the CEO and founder of Charity Water. Yeah. And so we were talking about, you know, there's at the time when they got started, there's a billion people on the planet that didn't have clean drinking water. And I was like, like, how do you even approach something like that, feeling like there's a billion people? That's just difficult to comprehend and get your mind around. So whether yeah. it's a billion people that need clean drinking water or issues related to the environment or energy efficiency or these types of things, where do you even start to feel like I could make a dent in this type of thing? 
Yeah, well, I think there's a couple of ways to think about this. Number one is to accept that you're probably not going to solve the entire problem by yourself because no one can, right? Like, right. it matter if you're the president of the United States or like the CEO of the biggest corporation, like no single person can solve these problems because they require collective action. But what's really exciting about that is in the internet era, you have anyone that's motivated and has a good idea. It's much more of a meritocracy of ideas today than it ever has been. And if you have an idea for something that might scale, whether it's a nonprofit, a project, a company, whatever, you can put those ideas out there and see if it works. Anyone can. And so I, I love that sort of democratization that the internet brings of ideas. It really levels the playing field to, to at least get thoughts out there and try things. Um, the second piece I think, though, is that like it's important to accept that like changing your own behavior and like changing the lens through which you view your work in the world is in many ways enough, right? I mean, as long as, you know, obviously I think like I was saying before, if you can scale your work to make a bigger impact, that's awesome. But kind of going back to some of the, the Zen ideas that got me inspired for the current company, if you're happy with the kind of life that you're living and it really resonates with the values that are really important to you, then you're being the change. And you don't necessarily need to be some great activist martyr like you can change lives one by one and that's right. the way the most lasting change happens and i guess it sounds sort of cliche but i really do believe that like it's kind of theme of our company we can start to just subtly get people to reflect on hey what is it i want to maximize in my life do i want a job with a hundred thousand dollars a year that i never get to see my kids i like emit a bunch of false fuels commuting back and forth to work or maybe one where i make a lot less but you know what i have everything that I need and then some and get to maximize what really like is important to me. That's a really important piece of the puzzle, maybe the most. Yeah, totally agree. Totally agree. So whenever you are starting to come across this Nico Nico concept that you said had, had really become a mainstream, I guess, in some ways in Japan, and you're wanting to bring that back to the US in some way, where do you even begin on something like that of going, okay, I want to help people measure their own mood and companies measure the moods of their employees and just kind of keep the temperature there and the gauge on the pulse of people. How do you even begin to address an issue like that? Yeah, well, we were fortunate in that this idea is not new. In fact, the name, like I said, comes from an existing methodology. And a lot of people in the U.S. were already using it in the Agile software community. So a lot of Agile developers, in fact, there's probably some folks listening to the show right now who have used these calendars before. And so a guy who was initially a co-founder on our project and now is our first investor, he runs a distributed software team and said, hey, it would be great if we had these calendars in our office to you know, help spot issues with retention and all these other things and like help me maximize the culture of the office. But we're distributed, so there's no way we can do this. So we were fortunate that we already had kind of a, a current user base who is doing this with pen and paper. But this is just the beginning for us, right? Like getting people, like using just our tracking tool is not going to work for every company or whatever. But it's a foothold for us into what we see as a much larger a much larger vision of seeing how corporations and companies are changing, how HR departments are changing into compliance and people ops and giving people ops the tools they need to maximize human potential. And this is just the start for us. As to why we went the sort of enterprise route, you know, the answer is twofold. Number one, obviously, in order to keep going, you have to create a, a strong business model. And there's, you know, obvious ROI for companies. But and more importantly, what's more exciting to me is like we can touch a lot more people this way. Almost everyone has a job. And we can subtly get you reflecting on what matters to you at work. That's a huge step. Yeah. Let's talk about that for a second. Why do people not take the time to really figure out what matters to them and what's important to them? And we, it seems like most of us, we're just kind of victim of circumstances and we're just kind of along for the ride wherever the current of life is going to take us without ever stopping and grabbing a paddle and figuring out, whoa, 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 do I really want to be going down this path? And if I go down this path, how is it going to affect me long term? Why do more people not take the time to kind of do some of this self-exploration? I'm certainly not an authority on anyone else but myself, but I can offer a couple of hypotheses. One is that 
it's tough. I think a lot of people stay really busy without really doing anything. And, yeah. and the reason we do that is because it's easier. Like thinking and making hard decisions is really hard. Right. And it's scary. It's scary because you feel like you're opening one door and closing other doors. It's scary because it requires like a depth of thought, which most people just are not used to or acclimated to making. So I think it is really scary. And I think the other thing is that our circumstances certainly don't help us. Ultimately, I think people do have individual autonomy and responsibility to make these decisions for themselves. But I also think people are largely a product of the circumstances in which they're raised. And like I said, if I had a child today, I would be very, very, very concerned despite working in technology about the effect of literally being streamed and inundated with information 24-7. I think that some sort of mindfulness exercise ought to be required in schools so people literally have the tools that they need to focus. I think the biggest differentiator, and another internet blogger I'm a fan of, Cal Newport at Study Hacks, mm -hmm. has written some interesting things about how the biggest differentiating skill for the 21st century is going to be, can you focus? Can you turn off all the damn distractions for an hour, sit down and do deep thinking and make real decisions, the real hard work, which is ultimately what is most fulfilling for human beings. We love to make real progress, but it's hard. It's not easy. And you have to put yourself in an environment where you can do that. And I'm not honestly a big fan of discipline. I think discipline is way overrated. I think create an environment where you have to work or think like that. Go out into the woods and separate yourself from all of your electronic devices or do that in your office. Turn off your airport mode. I hate all of the notifications I get on. I turn all of that off right. because we're, no one is disciplined enough. Doesn't matter how disciplined you think you are. Like you have to put yourself in an environment that facilitates deep thought and you know, I think that's where you get a lot of this. Yeah, I think that's so true. It's so accurate. And, you know, to pull an analogy from the business world, it reminds me of the book you probably read by Michael Gerber called The E-Myth. And he talks about one of the differences in having a business. And again, this I'll make the analogy to life here, but the difference between working in your business versus working on your business. And so when you're working yep. in your business, it's just the day-to-day -day stuff that you got to get done. And working on your business, though, is you step back and you look at it from 30,000 feet and just determine where's this thing going and what do I need to do to get it there. And I think it's the same thing with life. You know, you can work in life or you can work on life. And so yep. often, 99.9999% of the time, we are working in life where we are that proverbial hamster gerbil on the wheel that's just <laughs> spinning and spinning and spinning and spinning, but not taking the time to like step back and be like, I'm not going anywhere. Like I'm exhausted. I'm on this wheel of life and I'm, you know, I'm climbing the corporate ladder. I'm doing everything that I'm hypothetically supposed to be doing, but I'm dying inside and we never yeah. take the time to step back and connect the dots as why I'm doing everything I'm supposed to be doing according to society or culture or whatever. And yet inside, I just feel like this shell of a human being. And, you know, there's so many people that I hear from and so many emails that I get who'd say, that's exactly how I feel. And I can't articulate why. So, sounds like you're hoping to be able to connect some of those dots for people to help them better understand why they feel the way they do. Yeah. I mean, that, that's one of our big goals. Like this stuff is not rocket science, like the field of positive psychology and related fields. Like we can more or less like figure out what makes human beings like happy day to day and flourish long term. But again, it requires real focus and real reflection. I think if you're not willing to reflect, there's no way you're going to live a meaningful life. So I'm big on reflection. And I think that you know, just creating an environment where you can do that is the first step. Yeah. In fact, we have some similar called Clarity Course where we're helping people find and do work they love. And a lot of it comes down to just different pieces of structure to help them reflect and help them do some of that self-discovery and provide an environment uh, for not only themselves, but to compare notes with other people and just be able to find what it is that they were put on this planet to do rather than, again, just kind of going along with wherever the breeze or the wind may take them. So for yeah. someone that may be 
in that spot of going, okay, I, I need to better identify what is it that really makes me happy in life? What are some practical things that they can do just to get started? Yeah. I mean, again, I say you can go back and like, just like learning about the very basics of positive psychology. So like PERMA this this construct, the idea that like the things that make people happy day to day and fulfilled long-term boil down this idea of like positive effect or positive emotions, engagement, like the kind of relationships that you have, the meaning behind what you're doing and a sense of accomplishment. Like these are pretty basic ideas and just trying to orient your life around that. I think I kind of come, I don't claim to have the answer in terms of like, do people have a calling or do they find one? I, I think there's probably a mixture. I think there are some folks sure. like my dad who, you know, he was born to be an artist. That's all he ever wanted to be. That's all he's ever going to be. And that's awesome. I think for a lot of people, like that calling may not be quite as clear, but if you can maximize your life to, or sorry, if you can create your life to maximize those sort of five, you know, categories I was talking about, developing a sense of expertise that leads to accomplishment, that leads to feeling good in the moment. And something that's interesting to you that there may not be one, this is the the thing that you're here for. There may be several things that you're interested in. And frankly, you just pick one, become an expert in that, and you start to enjoy the benefits. I come down the middle on that. Um, I don't think there's like one cookie cutter answer, but I think that reflecting on you and, and knowing is the first step. Yeah. In a similar way, I, you know, I speak at a lot of events and work with a lot of uh, different individuals. And one of the questions I ask sometimes at events is, what do you like to do for fun? Yeah. And you know, question. some <laughs> people can tell you exactly what they like to do for fun. And some people are like, I don't even know what I like to do for fun, you know, and I, it's been so long that, since I actually <laughs> thought about what I like to do for fun. And it's always so interesting to ask people that and then watch people's reaction because on the surface, it's such a basic question. It's such a simple question. And some people, you know, they can answer it with a, a knee jerk reaction. And some people are like, crap, I don't even know what I like to do. I couldn't tell you the last time that I did something that would be categorized as fun. So for whatever reason, it seems like this thing that we kind of push to the back burner of life, we just don't pay attention to. Yeah. So, so, so for people that are intrigued by what you're talking about and intrigued by this thing, I know obviously, like you've said, you guys really focus a lot on the enterprise and for companies and organizations to kind of get a pulse on their employees and their teams. But yeah, I know that at the same time, your software can help individuals. So walk us through that. What can we do next? Yeah, yeah. So um, if you're interested in learning more about us and sort of our mission, you can check out nikonico.co. That's N-I-K-O-N-I-K-O.co. Or you can email me at max, M-A-X, at nikonico.co, N-I-K-O, N-I-K-O dot C-O. I get a lot of emails, so I can't promise I'll respond to everyone, but I certainly try. And, you know, we have the app you can download as an individual, as a mood tracker. Full disclosure, we're not really supporting that right now. I mean, that's, that's not our focus. We left it out there as a free tool for those folks who, you know, already have, like, their own regimen in place and just want to get that extra emotional data. If you work at a company or you're a head of people or a manager or HR at a company that's interested in how you can transform from doing a once-a-year survey to getting more pulse on your people and then using that data to target programs at your office that are actually going to improve people's well-being, improve communication, then definitely check us out. We're always looking for more feedback. We're looking to rapidly expand our offerings to not only collect the data but to help companies act on it to hopefully you know, create a better workplace for manager and employee alike. So, you know, definitely reach out. I love hearing from people that are passionate about this space and always excited to talk if I can. Very cool. So if we want to go look up the app, what's the name of the app? Is it called Nico Nico? Yeah, it's Nico Nico app. (laughs) Beautiful. That Uh, works. Yeah, but you can also sign up on the website and nicoNico.co. Awesome. Very cool. Max, thanks for sharing your story and journey and fascinating stuff you guys are working on. So uh, keep it on and we'll talk to you later. Yeah, I appreciate it. Boom. There you go. Hope you enjoyed that interview with Max Webster of NicoNico.co.
So if you want, feel free to stop by, check them out, uh, N-I-K-O, N-I-K-O dot C-O to learn more about what they're doing. Also, you can go to grantbaldo.com slash Max Webster, and you can look up all of the show notes and links, everything we kicked around, discussed, anything you want to check out further, you can always go find a summary of the show there on grantbaldo.com. You know, a couple of things that I really like that Max talked about, one of the things he said was just talking about thinking big and then just kind of starting somewhere. When you're just getting started with a business or a new career or some type of new endeavor, you don't know what you don't know. So you got to just start somewhere and kind of figure it out as you go. The other thing that I really liked about what we discussed there was just the whole concept of their app and their tool and what, what it is they're doing. And you know, it just reminded me, it makes me wonder, like, have you taken the time to figure out what you enjoy doing? You know, like what really gets you fired up? But more than, you know, like more than just a surface answer, but have you stopped to really, really consider it? What is it that you what is it that makes a fun day for you? You know, we've all had those days that are great and all those days that are horrible and those days that are mediocre at best. But like what makes a good day? And whenever you know what those things are, can you kind of deconstruct it and reverse engineer it and be able to figure out what went into that? What made it a good day that you can duplicate and replicate going forward? And so they provided a great tool to help with that process. So I definitely encourage you to check that out. Hey, as always, feel free to email me, grantograndbaldwin.com. Always enjoy hearing from you. If you just want some feedback or you're wrestling with something, you're trying to kick around some ideas, then feel free to shoot me an email. You can catch me on Twitter as well, at Grant Baldwin. Uh, If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to the show. You can do that within iTunes. That really uh, helps out the show, helps out other people to find the show as well. And if you haven't, we would love to hear just an honest feedback and rating from you as well. You can go to grantbaldwin.com slash iTunes or grantbaldwin.com slash Stitcher, or just search for How Did You Get Into That within the iTunes store there or Stitcher, and you will find it. Uh, But we'd love to hear from you. We'd love to, again, just an honest rating and review. It really makes a big difference in the show and helping other people find it. All right. That wraps up this episode. We'll be coming at you next week with some more goodness. But until then, you're awesome. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the How Did You Get Into That podcast with Grant Baldwin. Don't forget to visit grantbaldwin.com for all the show notes and links discussed in today's episode. We'll see you next time.